Psalms chapter 8, beginning with verse 28, it's a very familiar portion of scripture. I want to speak to it this morning. Romans 8, 28, 8, 29, and we know, we don't think, we don't hope, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Lord Jesus, in the next half hour, I pray your Holy Spirit will descend upon us that you will be our teacher, that you will take this familiar portion of Scripture and make it new and relevant to where we are today, knowing that if we, love, if we love you, if we're aligned with you, that no matter what we face, no matter how we feel, you will take it and you will use it for our good. And we thank you for that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now you may be seated. I want to talk this morning about that things are better than they seem. They're better than it seems. Last week, we looked at this Old Testament character by the name of Gideon. And thank you, man, I had so many people emailing and and saying how encouraging that message was. Remember, Gideon had a promise that is our promise today that made him the mighty warrior that the angel had proclaimed over him. And that promise was that God is always with us. Can you say amen? God is always with you, whether you feel like he's with you or not. Whether you're on the mountaintop of health or in the valley of disease, God is with you. That's a wonderful promise. And today I want us to look at another Old Testament character. This guy's name is Joseph. And by looking at the life of Joseph, we're going to discover another wonderful promise of God. And it's the one we just read. God is always with us. That's your first promise. But today we're going to learn that no matter what you're going through, if you love God, if you're obedient to God, he is going to take all those things, he's going to work them for your good, and he's going to conform you into the image of his son Jesus. Now Joseph was his father's favorite son. And I can honestly say that I was my dad's favorite son as well. But there's a little bit of difference. I was my dad's only son. And uh, Joseph had 11 brothers. And out of all those sons, Joseph was his father's favorite. Well, you know what that caused, a lot of jealousy, a lot of friction, and it meant that he was the least favorite among his brothers because he was the favored son. And they got tired of Joseph always getting the attention, always getting what seemed to be the special treatment, the colorful gifts, the favors. So one day they're out working in the field, and man, the spirit of jealousy began to rise up within them. And they said, you know, we know how we can get rid of Joseph. And the story is recorded in Genesis. Most of you know it. They beat him up. They put him in a pit. And they sold him to a group called the Ishmaelites. 
And then they went back and they told their father that he was attacked by a wild animal. And of course, his dad was absolutely devastated and they'd put some blood on his coat and they, you know, tried to make this ruse. This nomadic tribe that actually bought him, the Ishmaelites, were slave traders. That's what they did. And they took Joseph along with others to the country of Egypt. And Joseph wound up as a slave, but he wound up in the household of Potiphar, who was a very high-ranking government official. And Joseph, even though he wasn't where he wanted to be, he probably missed his dad, probably missed his brothers to some degree, missed his country, missed his culture. He did what every Christ follower should do. You have a good attitude and you do the very best job possible as if you were working under the Lord. And he did that. He did his job well. And Potiphar was really pleased because he went the second mile. He saw that Joseph gave his all. And before long, Potiphar's wife began to take a liking to Joseph. Joseph was a nice-looking young man, and, and Potiphar's wife made some very inappropriate, in fact, sexual advances in Joseph's direction. And Joseph politely declined and then made a beeline for the door. Exactly what he should have done. But Mrs. Potiphar (laughs) didn't take rejection very well. And she falsely accused Joseph, which caused him to be tossed into a jail cell. Now maybe some of you have been falsely accused by your husband, by your wife, by your boss, by a loved one, by a neighbor. Maybe you can relate to some degree of what that's like and what, what your fleshly emotions are battling at that point. But Joseph, while he was in prison, saw it as an opportunity to help others who were in prison. Again, he saw opportunity to serve people as he was serving God. He helped a fellow inmate that happened to work very closely with Potiphar. Joseph interpreted a a dream for this man, this prisoner. And years later, when Pharaoh himself had these puzzling dreams, this man said, oh, I remember this guy by the name of Joseph. I was in prison with him, and and he had this gift of interpreting dreams. And so... um, The dream that Potiphar had, that Joseph interpreted, was about seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. And in an interesting kind of turn of events here, Pharaoh said, you know, everything you've said to me makes sense, so I'm going to put you in charge of helping me to plan for all these hard times that are coming. So Joseph gets this promotion, so to speak. And after seven years of prosperity and ruling, the famine hit, just as Joseph had interpreted the dream. But Egypt was ready because they had been prepared. And that's a whole other message, but the Bible does teach that you and I need to always be preparing for what shall come. Egypt was ready in part, not just because of Potiphar, because of Joseph's foresight and Joseph's excellent administrative ability. Everyone knew 
throughout the entire world the effects of this famine, including Joseph's family, his brothers, his dad who were back home, the ones that had sold him into slavery. Those brothers didn't have anything to eat. And they got this idea, well, we'll go to Egypt. We hear Egypt has some extra food, and maybe we can get some food to take back to our family. And it's not by chance, it's by divine appointment that the brothers went to Egypt and they found themselves face to face with Joseph, the brother they despised, the brother they had sold into slavery. And Joseph was the key to them getting the abundance that they needed. Now, after that many years and in a whole different, you know, context, they didn't recognize Joseph. They didn't realize because they didn't expect to encounter him. But Joseph recognized them. Boy, there's so much to this story. Can you imagine the battle that Joseph must have had in his heart? Does he help them or does he say, I'll teach you a lesson? You know? And after a little bit of back and forth, he eventually did reveal himself and tell them, I'm your brother, Joseph. It's a fascinating story. They're able to clear the air and Joseph arranged for them not only to have food, but to come to Egypt and live with him. He provided for them. Talk about a story of God's grace. That's what God's grace does to us. He invites us to his table of abundant blessings. Years later, after Joseph's father has died, the brothers were afraid that Joseph would now, with the father removed, take opportunity to get revenge. But he didn't. Joseph was a godly man. And we read this in Genesis chapter 50. This is what it says. Joseph said to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That is the Old Testament foundation for this promise that we're looking at today in Romans 8, 28, 29. Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. I'd encourage you to read the story of Joseph this week. See how God can take the very worst circumstances and use them for good. And the story of Joseph illustrates this promise that I want to share with you today. Because if you are trusting Jesus, not the government, not the church, if you are trusting Jesus, not your finances, not your family, if you are depending on Jesus alone, if you are aligned with him, if you are walking in obedience to his word, everything will work out for the best every time. Maybe today you've got a good reason to, to doubt the truth of this promise. There may be things going on in your life right now that you do not understand. And they're painful 
And you just want to say, why? Why, God? And sometimes, friends, as in, in Joseph's case, man, we see that the whole story resolves itself in a way that you can connect the dots and you can understand. There are many times that I have not understood a situation until years later, and then I look back and say, oh, that's what God was doing. But let's be really honest. Sometimes we haven't gotten to that point yet. You can't connect the dots. You're still confused. You're still in pain. You have not understood the resolution of the story. And that's, friends, when you need to ask the Lord to give you the faith and ability simply to stand on the promise of God, Romans 8, 28, 8, 29. I believe Joseph stood on that promise, even though it was a new covenant. We know Romans had not been written at that point, but it still is the character of God. The character of God is to always bless and do good to those who will trust him. So friends, if you're watching online today or if you're in the building, if you'll allow, God will take whatever is happening in your life right now and he'll work it out for the best. But like all of God's promises, it begins with you committing to believe it. See, it begins with a commitment of faith. You have to believe it. It's a decision that you and I need to make today. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear. We will put our trust in God, no matter how things look. Now, you can call that hope. You can call it optimism. I'm just saying it's an attitude that will sustain you. Here's how German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about it, this kind of attitude. He said this, Quote, the essence of optimism is that it takes no account of the present, but it is a source of inspiration, of vitality, of hope, where others have resigned. It enables a man to hold his head high, to claim the future for himself, and not to abandon it to his enemy. I want you to know it's possible for us to live with that kind of hope. Our eyes not focused on the present circumstances, (laughs) but on the promises of God's faithfulness that in time, it'll all make sense. I know there's some people that will think, well, man, what if this is as good as it gets? That's a dangerous thought for a Christian to think that life's never gonna become better than it is right now because that's not true. Biblically, it's not true in our theology. Jesus is coming again. We believe it. We sing about it today. There is promises in the word that will be fulfilled. This is not as good as it gets. The best, friends, is yet to come. No matter if your circumstances are dreary today, your situation will become better. If for no other reason, it's because this situation that you're in today is temporary. It's temporary. Everything here on this earth is temporary. We're citizens of heaven. We're just passing through. And we read the promise earlier, didn't we? We know that all things will work together for those who love God. I want to take just a few moments and take some time to think about what it means to live in anticipation of that promise. 
It's not enough just to hang it on your refrigerator or your bathroom mirror. I'm talking about internalizing this. So it becomes your lens for life. Three related truths. And the first is we do have to admit this promise is not for everyone. Now stay with me for a moment. I want you to notice that the writer of the Romans says specifically, for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, God loves everyone, but guess what? Not everyone loves God. I know that there's this kind of wishy-washy, new-age idea that gets floated around that everything happens for a reason. Your non-believing neighbor might say, oh, it all happens for a reason. Somehow in the cosmic, you know, it all comes together. Good will come out of it. But frankly, friends, that might not be the case. Now listen, if you're living a life of rebellion against God, if you are making one sinful decision after another, there's no good that's going to come out of that. I'm sorry, but that's what the word says. That's a road that is broad, that is dark, that leads to destruction. You can't just do whatever you want and think everything's going to be okay. Man, it's getting quiet in here. But it's important for us because sometimes we get so grace-oriented, we forget. Man, there is an obligation to take up our cross, to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus every day, to make him not just our Savior, but to make him our Lord. And that means that he's the one that calls the shots. He's the one that when you're just ready to send that email that will feel so good because you've told that guy what you really think, and the Holy Spirit says, just delete that now. Don't even send it. And you begin to wrestle with that. And for those that have made Jesus Lord, you just delete it and say, well, I really wanted to send it, but I'm not in charge of my life anymore. I'm walking with Jesus. Good won't come out of rebellion. You can't live outside the will of God and expect in the end everything's going to turn out. So that's why I just want to point out here, I'm not talking about that kind of new age philosophy because this promise does not apply to everyone, but it will apply to all of us today who will turn our heart toward Jesus Christ, submit to him. Say, Jesus, we want you to be the Lord of our life. We will surrender to your will. And when we do that, when we give him control of our life, he begins the process of making sure that everything we're going through is going to fit into his perfect plan. He'll make something beautiful of your life. Maybe your life is just full of ashes today. Jesus said he can make beauty of ashes if you'll just come to him. Ask for his mercy. Ask for his grace. This promise can apply to everyone if we will simply love God, be obedient to God. Another related truth that we need to keep in mind in dealing with this text is this promise 
doesn't imply in any way that everything that happens in your life is good. You can be a born-again, spirit-filled, victorious Christian, and stuff is still going to happen that's not going to be easy. Because we live in a sinful world. And we are affected by the sins of the world. And that's an important distinction. There's a distinction between saying that everything is good and that God will make good come of every situation. It's a distinction we need to make. See, the second part of this statement is absolutely true 100% of the time. But the first part clearly isn't. We know that in all things, good and bad, that's the part that isn't clear. Not everything that happens is good. Sometimes it's ugly. But along those same lines, we need to realize that not everything happens might be within the boundary of God's will. Many things happen every day to us that aren't in the boundary of God's will. Yet, he can take those things and work them for good. Let me give you an example. Um, 2 Peter 3.9, very, very clear. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but all to come to repentance. That's God's will. Amen? That's his will. But every day, every hour, there are people who are passing from this life and entering in eternity without knowing Christ. People who have never repented. It's not God's will, but it still happens. It's never God's will that I sin. It's never God's will that you should sin. It's never God's will that women should be abused or the color of your skin marginalizes you or the people should be oppressed or evil should in any way win. That is not God's will. One of the cold, hard realities of living on planet Earth is sometimes, though, even those of us that are trusting God will bear the brunt of the sinful actions of other people. Never forget the day that I went to ER to visit the Branhams after they had been involved in a car accident, a drunk driver. Sister Branham had passed away in one of the ER rooms, and Morris was another ER room. And the doctor said, Pastor, why don't you go and tell Mr. Morris that his wife didn't make it? I'll never forget that. There was nothing good about that. This sweet, dear couple who were faithful to church, faithful to God, faithful to their family, they tithed, they served. They were the first ones at the altar. No matter what the altar call was for, the Branhams were there. And their lives cut short by a drunk driver. That was not good. Yet as we trust God, 
we must believe that he can even take those tragedies of our life where we have become the brunt of other people's sins and he can turn them around. He can make them part of our story. And in the meantime, he is conforming us into the image of God. Joseph is that perfect example in the Old Testament. God didn't cause all those bad things to happen to Joseph. He didn't put Potiphar's wife up to trying to seduce him. God was not the one that put the thought in his brothers that they should beat him up and put him in a pit. God's not behind the negative events that occur in our life, but he can use them in such a way that good will come out of it if we will simply trust him. Now, when something bad, you know, comes into your life, don't try to trick yourself into saying, oh, this is good. Oh, this is great. Praise the Lord. And that's just, you know, false spirituality. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you can acknowledge facts, but you can proclaim truth. I don't know how many times I've prayed for people and I've said, I understand the fact is you have cancer, but the truth says, by the stripes of Jesus Christ, you have been healed. And the truth always supersedes the facts. But you don't have to ignore the facts. You don't have to try to be a martyr. Oh, this is wonderful. Bring it on, Satan. Bring it on. Man. You can say it's a bad situation, but I'm going to trust God, and someday I might even thank God that he's going to bring something good out of it. And what is it he's going to bring that's going to be really good? The best of all, it's found in verse 29. That's my third and final point today. You will become more like Jesus. Because remember, Jesus is more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. He's more concerned about your attitude than he is the circumstance that you're having to go through. He wants your heart to be conformed into the heart of Jesus. What is he going to make of all this stuff in our life? According to verse 29, he has predestined you and I who love God who are being obedient to God, to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. That's his plan. So when you're walking through a difficult time, you can remind yourself, somehow God is making me more like Jesus. Gold is only purified in a fiery furnace. We understand that. See, in... In one way, God has this one-track mind. And he's aware of all this stuff in our life. You know, the situation or the attitude or whatever you're facing. But his one-track mind is, how can I make Jerry more like Jesus? How can, I, how can I touch Steve's heart so he'll be more trusting? It's always about us becoming more like Jesus. Because listen, when you and I become more like Jesus, everybody wins. Everybody. <laughs> Your neighbor, when you become more loving, when you become more of a servant, when you decide it's not about power and control, it's about being like Jesus and serving and forgiving, you win. 
You win. You become more like Jesus. You become closer to God. God is proud of you for your response. Your neighbors, your friends, your families wins. Your spouse, your children, your employer. The more you and I become like Christ, friends, the greater impact for good we will have on the lives of other people. The more you become like Christ, the more you'll experience that abundant life that he's promised. A life of joy, of peace, of love, of fulfillment. Oh yeah, there might be storms, but you'll have that peace. You'll know God's going to use that for a greater good. That is God's single-minded purpose for you and for me that we'll be more like Jesus. And everything that happens in your life can work toward that end, including suffering, including pain. That's how Jesus endured the pain of the cross, because he knew there was a greater, a greater goal than just his comfort. I don't know about you, but sometimes I like to rewatch movies or even ball games. I, I, I love to, to watch them the second time because it removes what I call the nerve factor. You know? I mean, if you're watching a live football game and, and you don't know if your team's going to fumble or make that Hail Mary pass and, you know, just... But if you already know the final score, you can watch the game and enjoy it. And the same way with a movie. You know? You know the outcome, so you can, you know, endure the mistakes and all that. Think about Romans 8.28 and 8.29 in the same way. You know the outcome. It says here, in all things, God will work for good for those who love him, been called according to his purpose. For he foreknew you and predestined you to be conformed in the image of his son. That's a wonderful outcome. And if you keep the outcome in mind, it'll help you you'll be more relaxed as you're moving through life. And I'm not trying to minimize in any way any, you know, hard pain, painful challenge you're going through right now. Because I know some of you are, are going through difficult times. But that's why as your pastor, I'm trying to help you. I, I, I don't have a magic wand. I can't take those painful things away. But I can teach you what the Word of God says. That if you shift your focus, if you stand on the promise, just as you know the outcome of the ball game that was played yesterday, and I didn't know if the Mariners were going to pull it off yesterday. I wasn't sure going into that 10th inning. We did, 13 wins in a row. It'd be easier to watch that game today knowing the outcome. But when I'm going through a tragedy, when I'm going through a traumatic experience, if I keep my eyes on this promise, I'm going to become more like Jesus. I'm going to learn how to trust Jesus. Like Joseph and the way God used that situation to save an entire nation. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, believing the promise of Romans 8.28 and 8.29 enables you to hold your head up high and claim the future for yourself. Friends, God can make sense of that which doesn't seem to make sense.
But you and I need to surrender ourselves to him. We need to say, Lord, we want to trust you with our life. And you'll hear him say, if you trust me, my child, just wait. See what I can do. See what I can make of this situation. When every head bowed this morning, and I want to give you an opportunity if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior to do that this morning. Because if you do that this morning, then this promise that I've preached about today can be yours. It's not for everyone. It's only for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. So if you're here today and you're at a stage of your life that you just want to give up and surrender to God, your creator, to that bridge the pastor Darth talked about of reconciliation, Jesus came that we might have fellowship with God. It's through Jesus that we have forgiveness of sin. It's through Jesus that we can stand on the promises of his word. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I just want you to raise your hand and I just want to pray for you. Just want to give you this opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to twist your arm. Maybe you're here today and you are following Jesus, but you're going through a real tough, tough time. And you need more faith and strength to stand on the promise of Romans 8.28. You need more grace to be able to see the final outcome because right now you're just consumed with what you're facing. If you need prayer for that, I want you to raise your hand. Yeah. Several. Heavenly Father, I thank you that You love us so much that you're always working for our good. You're always working on our behalf. Through difficult times, through challenging times, help us, Lord, to stand upon your word that all things will work together for our good and you will use them to conform us into the image of Jesus. You saw the half a dozen hands that went up this morning brothers and sisters who are just facing difficult times. Sometimes, Lord, it just gets so heavy, it gets so oppressive that we just can't see past the darkness. And I pray, oh God, that those people will know that you have not left them. You are with them. You're taking every step of the journey with them. And I pray the light of Jesus will shine into that darkness, that they will hear you say, come to me, all you who are weary. I'll give you rest, for my burden is light, my yoke is easy. I pray you will help each of us, Lord, to have faith as we go through difficult times. Stand on the promise of Romans 8.28 and 8.29. We might come out victorious and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.